0: Uh, Just to remind you, uh, in chapter 2, Peter has been reminding the early church just who they are, the dignity and the beauty they have in being children of God, sons and daughters of the living God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. It makes us different from the rest of the world, and we shouldn't be surprised if they think us weird at times because of that. And then last week, we looked at what Peter had to say of living that out, in submission. And I recognized at the beginning of that message that that's just not a very nice word these days. None of us likes to hear it. We certainly don't want to be commanded to do that. And yet, according to Scripture, not just Peter, but Paul and our Lord Jesus Christ as well, over and over and over in their teachings and their writings would be speaking of submission and humility, of a servant heart, of willing to do what is better for the other person than even what is best for ourselves. It is a theme that runs completely counter to any culture in this world that you can think of that is not Christian. But it is a very firm teaching that's lived out in our daily lives. And we looked at that in some detail uh, last week Uh, with employers, employees, with government officials, even within the family, husbands, and wives. Today we're coming to a little bit of a different emphasis and shifting to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 22. We'll be talking about how do you draw other people to Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 8. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Four, Whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you If you are eager to do good, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear or what they threat. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. This is the word of God. I want to start this time not by giving out a word to you that might cause offense or to a word that might make you uncomfortable, it's simply by asking a question. Why isn't the Christian church growing in North America and Europe? I hope all of you are aware of that sobering fact. It's true. Why isn't the Christian church growing in North America or in Europe? We know through reports that we get from a lot of different sources that the Christian church is exploding in growth in Africa and Asia, in China under persecution, in Southeast Asia with great difficulties. And yet, the church is growing. We've even gotten word in Muslim countries, even Iran, that the Christian church is growing exponentially there, where people are embracing Christ who have not even heard the word, but they've had a vision of who he is and they have sought out a gospel. These are amazing things that are happening around the world in the Christian church, but what's happening in Europe? What's happening here in this country? Last summer, my wife and I, with her sister and her husband, were three weeks in Great Britain. And each Sunday we worshiped in a different church Now, much to my surprise, there's actually a thriving Christian bookstore in downtown Belfast, Ireland. We met some wonderful believers there, men who had been meeting for prayer weekly for 50 years, that the gospel would grow in Northern Ireland. And indeed, that was the most vibrant church we attended. And there was growth, but not that much. The other two churches we worshiped in were in England itself, one in the Cotswolds uh, to the west of London and, and Oxford, and the other was in Cornwall in that extreme southwestern tip. Both of those churches were obviously struggling. And in talking with the pastor afterwards, simply asked each of those pastors, independently, not knowing I'd talk to the other, how can we best pray for you? They said, just pray that our numbers can increase through the gospel. This is very hard ground. The exact same words both men used. They'd never even met each other. Two different groups. This is hard ground. So what is the percentage of evangelical Christianity in Great Britain? Somewhere around 2%. 2%. And this is our heritage. This is the place, this is the area where America received those first immigrants into this land who proclaimed Jesus Christ as Lord, and they were looking for religious freedom to worship Christ as they wanted to. And now, it's like a desert spiritually. And we're seeing signs of that in our own culture, in the United States, in Canada. Things we used to assume were acceptable are no longer acceptable. Things that were once considered unacceptable are now acceptable. We're living in a very different and changing culture. Why isn't the church growing in North America or Europe? We believe it should be growing. I think everyone us here. That's one of the reasons we come. We're excited about our faith. We want to worship together with others. We want others to know Christ and to grow. But it's not happening like we thought it might. There are a lot of different answers that can be given to a question like that. The first one that comes to my mind is simply our prosperity, and that's as old as ancient Israel. We have become a very prosperous nation. Europe has become a very prosperous area. We don't need God in the sense that others might have just as a source of strength in hard and difficult physical times. In ancient Israel, Over and over and over you read the book of Judges and you see how the Lord saved his people from their oppressors. He blessed them. There was plenty of food. Their flocks increased. Life was good. There was an abundance. And then what happened? They stopped worshiping the true God and started worshiping the gods of those around them. And once again, they were brought under oppression because they had deserted the God who loved them and had brought them there to begin with. I think that's part of what we're seeing happening in very prosperous countries around the world. It's all right. The government will take care of us. We don't need God. We're fine. Another possible answer may just be the heightened level of education, where we live in very literate countries compared to areas like Asia and Africa where a high school degree, a college degree, a graduate degree is pretty much a common sort of a thing, not with everybody, but it's still generally accepted that these are things to be achieved and accomplished. But unfortunately, in our areas of higher education, we have instructors that don't believe in God. We have those who influence very moldable minds and hearts to say, oh, that's just a silly superstition. That's just a crutch that you use education and learning. That will give you an understanding of the world and the life. That's what you need to do. And I'm afraid a lot of us have bought into that. And the church is not growing. We think we are smart enough that we don't need him. But the third thing that occurred to me as to a reason why the church has not grown is not because of our prosperity, necessarily, nor because of our education. It's because we have lost our winsomeness. We have lost our attractiveness to people within our own body of believers as well as to people outside of it. People don't necessarily want to be around Christians. And some of it is because they've been brainwashed by media and by inaccurate uh, examples of what the Church of Jesus Christ is all about and like. But I think in what Peter is saying in these words from chapter 3, he was wrestling with the same thing with the early church. You realize in these epistles that are written either by Peter or Paul or John that they were written because there were problems in the church. And you can understand what the problems were by going back and seeing what the commands, what the correctives are. So the very first thing that Peter is describing here that I believe is causing us not to grow as we should is how we treat our fellow Christians. How we treat each other is very important. Verses 8. Finally, all of you, Live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called that you may inherit a blessing. This is to the church. So apparently, these are Christians gathering to worship Jesus Christ, they are not in harmony with one another. They are not being sympathetic with those who need sympathy. They are not acting as brothers in love or sisters. They are not being compassionate. They are not humble. They're becoming proud of who they are and what they've done, and they look at ways to get back at those who have hurt their feelings or have hurt them in a financial way or have insulted them in some other way. Now, just reading that, most of us have, oh, sure, we do that, of course. I mean, that's that's what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah. Well, think about it. Who is it that God has led you to in your life right now that you are seeking to build a relationship with and they are difficult? They don't agree with you. Maybe they're not even socially acceptable but they need sympathy. They need love. They need care. They need to feel that they are belonging into the body of Christ. And we assume all are doing that, but I'm convinced when you and I take time to say, Lord, show me one person, just one person, he will. And you know what's so hard about that? It's just inconvenience. It's really inconvenient. We want to get on with our lives. We want to be with the fun people. We want to do the things that we've got lined up to do. And it's just really inconvenient to deal with somebody who is down, who is angry, who is upset, who does return an insult for a compliment, and they still need our love. And we need to keep our schedules flexible enough so that we can make time for them to sit down and say, Tell me your story. Not that you're a counselor, not that you're going to straighten them out, but just to learn more of who they are. And more often than not, you and I will find out this person that's been in church with us, this person that we've known for a good many years, came from a pretty strange and difficult background, have had broken relationships. There are reasons why they are the way they are. And if we know that, we don't call attention to it, but we love them even more. And we try to be the one that they know they can trust, because so many have broken trust with them. To be compassionate and to be humble. Humble and submission really go together. And it's not a sign of weakness. You've got to get that in your heads and hearts. To choose to be humble is a sign of great strength. Anyone can be arrogant. Anyone can demand their own way. That's not a way of strength. The way of strength is knowing you have rights and willingly put them aside so that you can be a servant to someone else. And I hope that sounds familiar because that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. And he is our example. To bless each other. And if someone hurts your feelings, you don't try to cut them off or you don't decide, well, I'm going to do something to hurt them back. You just absorb it. You absorb that acid of emotion You let that come in, let them vent it out. It's okay, you're strong enough to take that and you neutralize that and back to them, you offer love. I'm so sorry. I'm I'm, I'm really sorry you feel that way. Let me know what I can do to be of help. I wanna help you. That crosses a lot of barriers. So the first thing in why we're not growing as a church, I believe, in Western culture is that we are not treating our fellow believers in the way we need to. And it has an auxiliary effect. When you and I begin to live this way, other people notice. Our neighbors see it. The people at work see it. The people at school see it. People in the store see it. And they begin to ask the question in their minds, that's different. In fact, that's kind of Nice. I almost wish I could be like that. And that leads to the second point. The second reason I think we're not growing is because of the way we treat non-Christians, those who are outside the church family. These are the majority. As I've just given you the statistics, and they're growing in this country as well, The majority of people are not in an evangelical Christian church family. They don't know the fellowship that we know. They don't understand the forgiveness that we understand. They want it, and they don't even know they want it. They're hungry, but they've tried to fill up with all the things that don't satisfy. So Peter has a word for them, verses 13 through 17. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, or do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. In other words, you're going to treat them well, because God loves them too. Every bit as much as he loves us. And he wants them to know that love, but they're not going to see it unless there's somebody else that can show it to them. And don't be afraid of the people outside of us. I don't know where you are in your walk with Christ, but I remember early on when I lived in a a different culture from the deep south where I grew up, I was almost embarrassed to let people know that I was a Christian. And I hate to admit that, but it's true. They were so sophisticated. It was in a large eastern city, Everybody seemed to have it together. They were all very prosperous, very wealthy, very well-educated. And I'm thinking, what have I got to offer? Since then, I have grown a good bit. And I've realized that is so shallow. Their money, their clothes, their houses, their boats, their vacations, it's so shallow. I've got what they don't have. I've got forgiveness. I've got God's love. I've got a relationship with Jesus Christ that no one can break or tear apart, and they don't have that. So don't be afraid of other people who don't profess Christ. Don't be afraid if they call you stupid, if they call you ignorant, if they give you all sorts of names. Don't be afraid and don't let it sink into your heart. Just return that with a loving look and not with a cutting remark and say, well, I see that's what you think of me. Let's talk about it. What are your beliefs? What do you worship? How do you worship? See where it goes. Don't be afraid of them. And even if it's someone who mocks you, if it's an employer or somebody else that you know well and they mock you in front of others and they embarrass you and maybe they don't promote you simply because you're doing a good job in the name of Christ, not being obnoxious, I'm not talking about that, just doing your work, but they know you're Christian so they're not going to give you any promotions. They're not going to give you help. You're going to suffer. Okay, so be it. You're suffering not because of your personality. You're suffering because you love Jesus Christ. And that actually makes them afraid. That's why they want to treat us badly. Don't be ashamed of Christ before them. And then there's that verse that I think all of you are familiar with, at least I hope you are, is to always be ready to give an answer to those who ask you about your Christian faith. Say, I see you going to church every Sunday and it's a different kind of day for you. Why is that? Or well, you had a chance to make a lot of money on that deal, but you didn't. Why? The questions could go on and on. But we are not, get this, we are not commanded to go out with a club and start knocking people on the head saying, believe in Jesus. We are commanded the exact opposite. We are commanded to live a quiet and gentle life, to honor Christ in everything we do from the menial, most menial task to the most grand decision and wait until people come to us or drawn to us because we are weird, we are different, and they like what they see, and they want to know more. Be ready to answer them, yes, I know I'm different. It's because I'm a Christian, and we have to define what that is today. The word is turned around so much, nobody knows what it means. I am a person who believes that Jesus Christ actually came to this earth as a son of God, and he died for my sins, and I'm forgiven. And you have to be ready for them to say, well, that is the most superstitious, ridiculous bunch of baloney I've ever heard, and walk off. They might. But if God is working in their heart, if the Holy Spirit is beginning to move in their lives, they're going to say, well, that really sounds strange. Can you tell me more about that? Yes. Are you free for some coffee this afternoon, or maybe breakfast tomorrow? Let's get together, and I'd like to talk more about it, and I'll answer any question you've got as best I can. You don't have to be defensive. You don't have to be aggressive. You just simply have to answer their question and tell them what you know is true in your life as a Christian. And we answer their questions wisely, gently, respectfully, clearly. We don't put them down. Oh, come on. You don't know that? I thought everybody knew that. (laughs) What a stupid answer that would be. No. Gently and lovingly, with their best interest at heart, we tell them what we believe and how that affects the way we live, our priorities in life. And it's not to become wealthy. It's not to become powerful. It's to know Christ and to make him known. And if he provides those other things along the way, we have the greater responsibility to use those responsibly, to be a good steward of what he's given us. But our goal in life, these few years he's given us on this earth, is to honor Jesus Christ and to bear truthful witness to who he is and what he's done for us. So first, how we treat each other makes a huge difference in whether the church is going to grow or not. Secondly, how we treat those outside the church makes a huge difference. And thirdly, how we preserve the truth about Christ. That's the last section of verses, 18 through 22. Peter shifts from the everyday practical, and he starts talking theology, which is essential if we're going to maintain a vibrant Christian life as the body of Christ. We have to be very clear that Jesus Christ is the Son of God that he came to this earth for the express purpose of saving sinners, people who had broken God's law, who had offended God, that he willingly gave his life as a perfect sacrifice, and that through his shed blood, we are forgiven of our sins. No matter how awful they were, no matter how unspeakable it might be, we are forgiven. And he proved through his resurrection that he has the power to do that. He is God. These are essentials of being an evangelical Christian, believing what Scripture says about Jesus Christ, and we cannot allow that to be diluted. We cannot change words or phrases as much as we want to. There is only one name under heaven whereby you may be saved, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. We've got to be clear on that and not give it up, not try to attract other people by saying, well, yeah, but if you want to believe something else, it's okay. There's room for everybody. I probably already said this at some point and forgot it, but let me just remind you, Christianity is the most exclusive and the most inclusive religion in the world. We're the most exclusive because we say there is no other way to have a good relationship with God, the creator, than through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the only way. There are not many ways to know who God is. There is only one. And at the same time, we say everybody is welcome. Regardless of your background, regardless of your checkbook, regardless of what you may have done in the past, you are welcome in the church of Jesus Christ. No other religion says that. They've got caste systems. They've got levels that you've got to grow to to be accepted. They've got things you've got to do It's all about works and earning your way through. And Christ says, no, I'm giving you a free gift. It cost me my life, but it's free for you to accept me as Savior and to live a life with me. And he provided salvation for all generations. This passage contains a very strange sentence that I'm not going to go into in any depth today about Jesus in the spirit going to preach to the spirits in prison. Don't let that trip you up. I think all Peter is trying to say is when Jesus died on the cross, it was efficacious. It was effective for every generation before, back to Adam, and for every generation after until Christ returns. He is a center point. And at his death and resurrection, salvation was accomplished for all of those who had gone before, and it is accomplished for all of those who will come to him in the future. That's all he's saying. But it's important to know, it's the same gospel. It's the same God. It's the same love in Jesus Christ. And also, the truth about Jesus Christ is embodied, now you might have missed it, because it's just almost a tack on at the very end. Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand. Yes, yes, we know he's an authority. With angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Nobody is greater than our Lord Jesus Christ. They may think they are, but they're not. Satan is not greater than Christ. There is no spirit that is greater than Christ. There is no king that is greater than Christ. All are in submission to him, and when he returns... Every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He has earned it through his sacrificial death for all of us. This is how the church is going to grow. This is how we're going to draw people to Christ with good theology, biblical understanding, by the way we treat people who don't know Christ, by the way we treat people who do know Christ. It is a way of life that is purchased by Christ, not by money, but by his blood. And everything, everything comes down to having a growing relationship with him, day after day after day, decade after decade. When you become a, Christ, a Christian, you accept Christ as your Savior, you've just gotten on the racetrack. You weren't even on the track before then. But once we accept Him as Lord and Savior, then there's a race to be run. There's a long way to go, and there are a lot of obstacles. There are a lot of people needing what we've got to offer that are on down the line, and we've got to maintain that relationship with Christ to daily read His Word, to pray to Him throughout the day. If you're driving don't close your eyes, but you can talk. You can pray to him with your eyes open to be aware of his presence and deepening that love and relationship with him. As we do that, and we take time to treat each other as scripture says we should, as we treat people outside the church with respect and dignity and honor and even submissive spirit toward them, and as we teach the truth about Christ, The church will grow. I'm not talking about spectacular numbers. They might happen. But one by one, family by family, people will be drawn to the body of believers who live out what they profess. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your truth. Thank you for the challenge that it presents us. And our prayer is that you will make these words of scripture sink deeply into our souls and hearts, and it will actually affect the way we live our lives, to be willing to adjust our schedules if necessary, but desire to be winsome through the name of Christ,